right, good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Wednesday CCR swim meet. (laughs) All you brave souls who swam out today. Boy, it was dark as I was driving in. I beat the storm, but uh, boy, I knew it was going to be a a boomer. Kind of reminds me of uh, Nahum, uh, that little-known book, Nahum, in the Old Testament, uh, where it says that the Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. So we need not fear, because God is above those storms. Um, so when I sought the Lord tonight uh, for um, direction on where he wanted us to go in our study, uh, he took me to, I felt gravitated to a passage uh, that was very familiar, at least to me. Uh, so familiar, in fact, that I began to wonder, have I ever shared from this passage before here? <laughs> uh, and um, in fact, yes, I had <laughs> shared, shared this, uh, this passage before, uh, about 2016. So those of you who haven't uh, been here uh, as long as 2016, this is brand new for you. Um, but uh, I, did, I did touch upon this passage uh, during uh, my testimony. Uh, so that's okay. I gave myself a pass. Uh, I did a flyby back then in 2016. We didn't really do a, a real exposition and study uh, in the Word. Uh, but I did take note that uh, I better mark this down, uh, that we did teach on this uh, on this day, so that if I come back later and I teach on it again, you all won't think I'm just pulling up old canned messages uh, to, uh, to rehash. That is a thing, though. That is a thing. And not a bad thing, uh, I'd say, because the Word is always alive and powerful. Pastor Tim does it every Sunday. You know that, right? He preaches two messages. Uh, and uh, those of you who are here for both services, you know that even with the same notes, there's always a new insight, a new nuance that the Holy Spirit introduces uh, every time we share the Word. It can be the same exact uh, passage. As we know, the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Every time we read it, you can read it ten times and get ten revelations from the same exact uh, Scripture. And no other book, no other book ever written can you say that about that. So it's so awesome. Uh, so with that, uh, let's go back to our old familiar uh, verse at uh, John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Now we are in this series uh, in the book of John, and you can imagine how intimidating that is to teach from uh, the book that Pastor Tim is teaching from. Uh, and so uh, the, 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 the dilemma is, should I go before Pastor Tim or should I go after Pastor Tim? Um, and uh, so, good thing the Lord took me to before Pastor Tim, so he can clean up whatever I mess up. So, all good. Uh, but before we turn, uh, before we begin reading, let's just go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we know, Lord, that you have ordained this assignment. We thank you, Lord, for each one who is here. We thank you for the hungry souls who want to hear from you. And, Lord, that's exactly why we're here. Uh, We are not here to hear from a man. We want to hear your voice through your word. We pray your anointing upon your word, that Holy Spirit, you would be just poured out in our midst. We pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts to receive your truth, our ears to hear you, God. 
Lord, as Jehoshaphat said, we know not what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Help us, Lord, to focus on you and your truth today. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to understand, and hearts to obey. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, another, uh, another point before we uh, dive into the Word. Um, so, aside from Jesus Christ, of course, uh, two individuals that have probably more have been written about in the New Testament uh, than anyone else are Peter and Paul, uh, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, and for good reason. Uh, in Romans 15, 4, of course, it says that whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, so that we, through patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, may have hope. Uh, and, and we gain great hope from just watching the biographical sketch uh, that is written about the life of Peter, about the life of Paul. And many times we can see ourselves in, that, in those sketches, uh, whether you were an enemy of Jesus, uh, as, as Paul was or Saul before he is, he was changed, his name was changed to Paul, uh, an outright enemy. Some of you may have been atheists before you came to Christ. Uh, you may have been an angry atheist, right? Because there's cool atheists who are just like, yeah, whatever. And then you've got others that, crazy enough, are furious with a God they don't believe exists. I never could have been able to figure that out. If he doesn't exist, then why are you so wound up about him? Uh, but you may have been a Paul, uh, and you can gain hope and encouragement in your walk that God can turn someone around so vehemently opposed to Christ and, and set them on fire. Um, or you can, uh, you can relate to Peter, who was loyal and he was obedient and he was so headstrong for the cause of Christ, but he just couldn't get out of his own way. And I know I can raise my hand for that one. You know, so I think we can find hope just in, in reading and learning from the lives of, of these men. You know, many, a many of the characters in the Bible, obviously, we can learn from. But I think that uh, Peter and, and Paul, rightly so, uh, are a very good example for us to, to look at and follow. And so, of course, our passage tonight is, is centered around Peter. Uh, this is the last chapter of the book of John. It's kind of the epilogue after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we're going to start reading at uh, verse 1. And we're going we're to hop around a couple places, um, but we'll start here in, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 21. And it says, after these things, uh, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Where was that? The Sea of Tiberias. It's important. Remember that. Okay? Uh, and in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. And so they went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Let's skip down to uh, verse 14. And it says, this is now the third time. That's another important detail. Remember that, third time. 
that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Going on to 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So keep your hand there. uh, Keep your finger uh, in John 21. But I want to turn back to Luke chapter 5. And we'll come back to John. But let's take a look at Luke chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 1 there. And it reads, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. So in John 21, we talked about the Sea of Tiberias. Here we see the lake of Gennesaret. And guess what? Those are exactly the same place. So the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias are all the same exact place. Okay? That's an important point. So Jesus stood by the lake of Gennesaret and and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And also, so were uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and the partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. And if I could trouble you just one more time for another passage in Luke chapter 22. And we will begin reading at verse 54. Sometimes it's good to just hear what the Word says and let the Lord speak through His, through his Word. So having arrested him, that is Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are one of them. Uh, But Peter said, Man, I am not. And then after about an hour had passed, another 
uh, confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so Peter went out and wept bitterly. So with all that reading, it, it felt necessary to kind of trace the line, right? Because the, the opening scene uh, of this teaching tonight in John, in John 21, um, without the context of how did he get from, you know, called by Jesus and all these great works and endowed by the Holy Spirit and casting out devils and, you know, working all these miracles as a disciple, to this despondency here at, that we see in John 21. just wanted to kind of carry through that whole context and show, you know, how you start, you started one place, but look at where he is now. And A.W. Tozer said, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And our, our study tonight... Um, I've entitled, as you can see there, The Hurt That Heals. And tonight we have three thoughts that we want to share. Uh, first, confronted. Uh, second, confessed. And then third, commissioned. So we look at Peter in uh, verse 3 of John 21, going back to uh, our passage tonight. And he says, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. He's going back to what he did prior to Jesus' call. It's almost like he says, I've blown it, right? I mean, it's all over. Uh, I might as well just pack it in and go back to fishing. And really for good reason, right? If you look at Peter's resume, so, you know, if Peter's putting in an application, a ministry application here at CCR, and we're reviewing and we're having an interview with Peter, it says, uh, you know, Simon, son of Jonah, also known as Peter, or a.k.a. Peter. Uh, and we read his resume. It's pretty impressive if you really look at it. You know, Jesus changed his name. Um, we know a couple people who Jesus has changed their name, but like Jesus changed his name, right? From Simon, which is reed-like or grass-like, literally kind of like shaky, to Peter, the rock, Cephas. Uh, and he, you know, he said that he would, on this rock, I will build my church. Of course, he was bold and outspoken. He was unashamed. He would speak boldly on behalf of Christ. Uh, he walked on water. Right? One of only two people in all of human history to have walked on water. He did sink, however, uh, and needed the other guy to help him. Um, he was in the inner circle of Jesus. By all accounts, he could be considered one of Jesus' closest friends. It was, Jesus, it was Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. And again, he didn't put his foot in his mouth and said, let's create a tabernacle up here. Um, but still, right, he was there. Uh, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus uh, when he was praying before his arrest. Uh, he was devoted. He came to Jesus' defense in the Garden at, at his arrest, even going so far as to cut off Malchus's ear. But I think if we were interviewing Peter for this job, for this ministry position, we'd have to stop and say, but I see here on your resume this event this incident, can you tell me more about what happened when you were in the courtyard warming by that fire that night that Jesus was arrested? And I think everything will start to unravel from there. 
And so it's no surprise when we look at our passage here that after the events of the last few weeks, Jesus has been arrested, he's been crucified, he has uh, risen from the dead, that broke a broken and dejected Simon, shaky Simon, would say, you know, what's the use? Right? I'll go back to what I do best. I was a great fisherman before Jesus came along. At least every fisherman thinks he's a great fisherman. Right? So he decides he's going to go back to what he was good at. And I wonder, have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that your failure or your sin or your stumbling has been a deal breaker for Jesus? Right? Have you ever felt that you've been just haunted by your past failures and you have lost your usefulness in the sight of God? So John records in verse 14, as we discussed, that this is the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples following his resurrection. I think this is significant. Matter of fact, in this whole passage, you see the number three, 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 three. And, you know, for your own homework, it might be worth just doing a study on how many times uh, Jesus uh, interacts with them a third time. So this is the third time that Jesus appears to them following his resurrection. The first two times, which are earlier or late in the late uh, parts of chapter 20, uh, Peter's not mentioned at all. Um, most of it is focusing on Thomas. The fact that Thomas was not there the first time. He was there the second time. He was doubting. You know, Jesus said, thrust your hand in my side. Put your fingers in my, in my hands. But Peter's not mentioned. And I can only just imagine that, you know, Peter was there, obviously. He had to have been there. But put yourself in his shoes. Would you want to look Jesus in the eye after you denied him? After you denied that you even knew him? At his moment of greatest need, really. And you said, I don't even know the man. And another, uh, one of the other gospel writers um, says that he cursed and swore, you know, to say, I didn't know Jesus. I can imagine that Peter would have a very difficult time looking Jesus in the eye on those first two uh, instances because, you know, nothing severs a relationship like betrayal. And for all intents and purposes, Peter had betrayed Jesus. You know, I was thinking about this, you know, not long after this, uh, Jesus has ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost, and of course, Peter rises up, again, bold and outspoken, preaches on, Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 get saved. But I just wonder, I just wonder, if Jesus had not addressed this unfinished business before he left, of course the Holy Spirit was going to fall, of course the Holy Spirit was going to work, the church was going to be born, but can you just imagine if Jesus had not addressed this one bit, really, really important bit of unfinished business, how would Peter have carried on trying to serve the Lord in the power of the Spirit, knowing that I betrayed my Lord, I betrayed my Lord, I betrayed my Lord, I betrayed my Lord. Because, I mean, let's be, let's be honest, there were two who betrayed him, Judas and Peter. Peter was as much a traitor as Judas was. But he was the one called to be the rock on which Jesus would build his church. So just, just food for thought. So again, we find Peter out on the water again, and he probably recalls three years ago in this very same lake, 
Again, this is why we wanted to bring this back together, right? Lake Gennesaret, Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee. Three years ago, this very same place was where I first met Jesus. Where Jesus called me. I came face to face with him. I realized that I was a sinner and he commissioned me to be a fisher of men. Boy, what fisher of men I've become, right? Three years of walking with Jesus, three years of sharing in his ministry, all unraveled in one night. How about you? Has that been your story? Years and years of months and months of walking and serving Jesus, all unraveled in one event. Or maybe a series of smaller events. Doesn't have to be a big bang. Sometimes a series of stumbles just, just zaps us of our usefulness to Jesus. But Jesus is so gracious. In the moment of Peter's despair, in steps Jesus once again. And he's standing on the shore. It's almost like to restore Peter, Jesus meets him at the place where it all began. This is where I called you. I stood there on the shore and I told you, let down your net for a catch. And here he goes again. Let down your net for a catch. It's awesome. So let's look first at confronted. Verse 15, Simon, do you love me more than these? And what is the these? When I read that, the first thing that jumped out is, what is these? You know, do you love me more than these? Is he talking about more than the fish? You love me more than these fish that you caught? I think he actually had a number in there. He said 153 fish they caught. You love me more than all these 153 fish? Do you love me more than your profession as a fisherman? Does he mean, do you love me more than you love the disciples? You love your, your companions with you? Or does he mean, is your love for me greater than that of the others? Do you love me more than they do? And of course, does Jesus ever ask a question he doesn't know the answer to? He does. He knows the answer. He knows. But he wants us to know, right? He wants Peter to know. Jesus may be reminding Peter of his earlier declaration. You may recall, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus begins to tell them that all of you are going to be caused to stumble before, uh, for me because I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be crucified. And Peter says in verse 33, he says, Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, like, you know not what you say. Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter did not have the good sense to stop, of course. Again, just like us, right? We, we are Peter. Peter said to him even more vehemently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Again, Peter's the leader of the bunch. If Peter says it, I'm right behind you, Peter. Yep, I will die for you, Jesus. And all of them scattered. So did Peter think he knew himself better than Christ? How about us? Do we think we know ourselves better than Christ sometimes? Because we know that Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Brother and sister, do you know the weakness or the wickedness of your own heart? 
For Peter, all that bravado, all that self-confidence, he had all of that, but when it push came to shove, it was a little servant girl that brought him to his knees. A little servant girl. The same as it is with us, right? How often and how easily have we given in to our flesh, chosen our will, our self-will? How often have we worshipped the idol of self over serving Christ? You know, Peter was just like us. He loved Jesus, but he loved himself more than he realized, more than we realized. Jesus had earlier said to the disciples, anyone, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then he, called, he tells Peter, you will deny me. Deny self, deny me. This is what Andrew Murray says in his book, Absolute Surrender. Awesome book. you got to read it. Awesome book, Absolute Surrender. He says this, Notice how Christ uses that word deny twice. He said to Peter the first time, deny self. He said to Peter the second time, you will deny me. It is either of the two. There is no choice for us. We must either deny self or deny Christ. There are two great powers fighting each other, the self-nature in the power of sin and Christ in the power of God. Either of these must rule within us. And so we ask Peter, the million-dollar question, right? Do you love me? Do you agape me? The Greek that he uses, do you agape me? And that, of course, as we know, is love without reservation, love without condition, self-sacrificing love is what he asks Peter. He says, are you selflessly devoted to me? Do you deny yourself for me? That's what he's saying. And three times, Jesus presses in closer. He presses in closer. He really corners him. He pins him into a corner where he can't run, he can't hide. All he can do is face the truth about himself. And those of you who do remember my testimony back in 2016, remember when the Lord cornered me uh, in my wrestle with him over the fraternity. And, you know, I'd given my life to the Lord, but there were still things I just didn't want to let go of. Right? I didn't want to deny myself, fully deny myself and be solely and fully his. And know this, brother and sister, it, it was interesting, uh, uh, Pastor Trevor was praying with me uh, before we, before we uh, came out here this evening. Um, and one thing he said, he's like, Lord, we want more of you, we want more of you, and that's so true. But we know the secret to that is, does he have more of us? Does he have more of us? The more of us he has, the more of him he makes available to us, the more of his power, the more of his peace, his strength. Of course, as we just learned in John 15, we can do nothing without him. We just have to be tapped into the vine. And y'all, please excuse my voice. Um, I talk for a living now at my job. So this is all I got. But I got my good friend Sean back there, so all good. All right, so let's look at Confessed. So Peter's response is somewhat surprising at first glance, right? Because not only does he doesn't fully answer Jesus' question, because Jesus didn't say, do you love me? He said, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? But he doesn't even use the same word. And this is really interesting. So, you know, we read it in English, and it's like, oh, yes, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
But if we were to put this in, in our language today, it would be, are you devoted to me? Are you selflessly, sacrificially devoted to me? And Jesus says, Lord, you know I like you like a friend, like a brother. Like that ain't what I asked. Do you, are you selflessly devoted to me? Do you deny yourself for me? Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. He uses the word phileo, which is of brotherly love. It's almost like that awkward moment. And some of you have to go kind of back, right? Back in grade school. That awkward moment when the girl tells the guy the L word. I love you. And the guy just has this really awkward look on his face because he knows that if he says that, it changes everything. Right? But Jesus is not a lovesick puppy. He is the one who searches all the hearts and understands the intent of the thoughts. First Chronicles 28 and 9. And so Peter knows that he's in no position to point to any of his recent actions as proof of his love. It's like, you know, Lord, I know that if I say that I am selflessly devoted to you, all my actions undo what I say. I'm completely undone by my actions, by my denial of you, by my refusal to acknowledge that I even know you. I know that I cannot say that I'm selflessly devoted to you. So the only response I can give is, Lord, you know. It's good to be honest with the Lord. Really, he can't work with us until we get to that point of honesty. Because we can try to fool ourselves. My dad used to say, you can fool people a lot of the time, but you can't fool God none of the time. Which is so true. So you might as well just fess up. Which is, which is interesting, because confess is actually speak the same thing. Con, same, fess, speak. It literally says, speak the same thing. Speak to God what he already knows about you. Is what, he's, is what confession is. Amazing. So a second time, Jesus asked Peter for his selfless devotion again. This time, he, is, he graciously admit, omits the comparison with the other disciples. But again, all that Peter can offer him is, is friendly, friend, brotherly love and friendship. And so the third time, though, Jesus mercifully amazingly comes down to where Peter is. He does not use the word agape. He comes down to his level and says, well, do you love me with a brotherly love? So listen to how this plays out. Are you sacrificially devoted to me? Lord, you know I love you like a brother. Are you sacrificially devoted to me? Lord, you know I love you like a brother. Do you love me like a brother? Like, oh my gosh. Can you imagine that? Having done what he did, can you imagine? It just speaks of how gracious Jesus is. How he condescends to us. He's so kind. He's so gentle. He doesn't give him what he deserves. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Loved ones, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. And even as believers, we need to hear the gospel over and over and over again. How that Jesus could have given us what we deserved, which was condemnation and death. But because of his great love for us, he didn't demand that we rise up to be selflessly devoted to him. He knew we couldn't. He knew we didn't have it in us. So he came down to where we were. 
And he continues to do that all throughout our walk, even after we betray him, even after we go all Peter on him and betray him. He's always there reaching, calling, beckoning us, calling our name. He is the one who leaves the 99 to go and retrieve the one sheep that has gone astray. Hosea 6.1 says, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He is stricken, but he will bind us up. Of course, when I think of his kindness towards me, his long-suffering, his grace toward me after all that I've done and continue to do and will continue to do until I see him face to face in heaven. It's like Job where he said, I abhor myself. It's like when I look at myself and I look at a holy God, it's like the Isaiah moment. Woe is me for I am, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the Lord. And when you really see him for who he is, we see us for who we are, which is just dust and ashes. It's like F.B. Meyer, willing to be made willing. It's like, I don't love you as much as I should, but Lord, I sure want to. I sure want you to teach me how to love you like you really deserve it. And so that's where we find Peter in verse 17. He's crushed. He's totally crushed. It actually says that. Um, he says he was grieved. In other translations, said he was troubled. He was deeply hurt. That really was a gut punch for Peter, I imagine. You know, because he said it twice, and then Jesus questions even that. Wow. He says, do you love me? You said you love me as a brother, but do you really? And so, of course, you know, Peter's like a total mess now. He is just through. But he's right where Jesus wants him. Right where he wants him. Before, you saw, see, he said he would die for Jesus. He said, I wouldn't stumble for you. I would die for you. But when push came to shove, he failed miserably. He's probably wondering, am I lying to myself once again? Right? Could I be lying to myself just to say that, yes, I do? I said I love you like a brother, but do I really? Maybe made him question his own self. And so here he is, all the bravado, all the bold impulsiveness is melted away. And now he's just a broken and wounded man at last ready for the great physician to heal him. And that's what Jesus was waiting for all along. Jesus was waiting for that when he said, get thee behind me, Satan. When he said, you shall not go to the cross. He says, get behind me, Satan, because you favor the things, your mind is on the things of the world and the things of man, not the things of God. All the warnings that he continued to give him, Jesus was waiting for this moment. When he stopped trusting in himself and realized how much he needed Jesus. And so the healing, thirdly commissioned, the healing from Jesus comes in the form of the recommissioning, really, of Peter. Jesus said, you will be a fisher of men in Luke chapter 5, verse 10, as we read. In Matthew 16, 18, he said, upon this rock... And I know that some, some scholars believe that the, the rock there is the confession of faith. Some believe that it is Peter that Jesus is referring to. And as Pastor, Pastor Tim says, yes, it's both. It's both the man and the confession that Jesus built the church on. And so this is the commissioning of Peter in the very beginning. And Jesus, look at what he says each time Jesus asks a higher question all Peter can give is a lower answer. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. It's like, I'm a holy God. I know I'm dealing with an unholy person. 
but I'm commissioning you to do my work. This is a picture of the gospel. This is a picture of how God works because he does it every day. A holy God, a perfect Savior, calling us broken, imperfect, messed up, jacked up people to do his holy work in this earth. And this is what he says. He says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. It's It's in essence saying, your failure did not forfeit my purpose for your life. Somebody may need to hear that tonight. I know I needed to. Your failure did not forfeit my purpose for your life. Remember Jesus' prayer for Peter in Luke chapter 22. We were in 22 earlier, uh, verse 31-32. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And then here's the key. And when you have returned to me, not if you have returned to me, not if you survive, but when you have returned, returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So Jesus already, he already saw it. He already knew it. He knew this was going to happen. And he says, none of that for, forfeited my calling on your life. You're going to have a strengthening ministry And you have to go through this valley to get to that place. So Jesus entrusts the care of his sheep to the one person who, aside from Judas, has done him the most harm. Can you believe it? It's as if he says, I trust you, Peter. I trust what I've put in you. I trust my calling on your life. You don't trust yourself. And you shouldn't. You're in a great place by not trusting yourself. And we see in the book of Acts and in the epistles that Peter indeed did become that fisher of men and shepherd of the flock, that rock on which Christ would build his church. So remember our interview at the beginning, right? If we were to ask Peter what was the key to his usefulness for God, of course, as we know, he could do nothing without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit poured out on the day of Pentecost and he was set on fire. But I would, I would suspect that Peter would also go back and say, but I tell you what, I go back to that day when Jesus met me on the beach and he hurt me deeply, but he healed me through that hurt. And so points of application in terms of failure because we fail very often, all too often. Uh, number one, failure is inevitable. Proverbs 24, 16 says, A just man falls seven times and rises back up again. Dennis Waitley said, Failure is something we can avoid only by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. So, failure is inevitable. Number two, failure is often the best teacher. God uses our failures to teach us things that we would not have learned otherwise. And you see this in sports when you, you hear the coaches get interviewed after a really bad loss, after a huge winning streak, and then they lose. They say, that was a good loss. We needed to learn from that. We got too confident. We got too co- you know, cocky, right? We needed that loss. So there are good losses, and that's well said. We often learn wisdom from failure much more than from success. Number three, the Lord must often hurt before he will heal. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And Hebrews 12, 6 says, That whom the Lord loves, he chastens. 
And then fourthly, failure in the hand of the Lord is never final. Christ's love is relentless. He will go to whatever lengths are necessary to bring us into the place that he has prepared for us. John Wooden, another great coach, said failure is never fatal, but failure to change might be. So where does this find you this evening? Has some great failure or a series of smaller failures appeared to ruin your usefulness and service to the Lord? Do you find yourself looking in the mirror saying, how could the Lord use me after what I've done? I know that I have. I've been there. I'm telling you, I've been there. I'm still there. I'm still there. I tell my kids, when I get up here to serve in worship on Sunday, don't think I take that lightly ever, ever. I don't deserve to stand up. I definitely don't deserve to stand here. I definitely don't deserve to stand here. And I don't deserve to be over there either. After what I have done, after the person that I have been, the person that Jesus saved, I'd be lucky if Jesus said, I'm going to save you. Now go sit over there in that corner and don't do nothing else. And I'd be like, yes, Lord, I deserve that. Right? Are there things in your life for which Jesus, if he were to visit you, you wouldn't be able to look him in the eye? Remember Adam? He said, I heard your voice, Lord, and I hid myself. Couldn't look Jesus in the eye because of his sin. You know, we say that we love the Lord, we sing the songs, we do the service even. But if Jesus were to corner you and press you and ask you, would he find things aside from himself that have captured our affection? Has your love for Jesus grown cold? It often does. That's why we need revival. That's why we pray for it every, every Sunday. We need revival. Lord, set me on fire once again. It's so easy. It's amazing how quickly we can cool off in a matter of seven days. That's why, as, as, as Scott always says, this is such an oasis, right? Just a respite from the hustle and bustle of the week, just being able to come in and be with the Lord and be with our brothers and sisters and just kindle that fire once again. Sometimes it's just, just a little smoldering ember is all we got left, but Jesus blows on it and we're back on fire again for him. Thank you, Jesus. Revelation 3.20, and we're closing. Jesus said, and this was the, to the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, the church that he said, I would that you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. He gave this promise to that church. And again, is encouraging to us. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. And what do we do when someone knocks on our door usually? Right? And our house is a mess. Right? We're just like, wait a minute, just a minute, just a minute. Right? And we go try to straighten up the house, clean up everything, you know, throw the laundry and dishes in the dishwasher and all that kind of stuff. But notice what Jesus does not say. He doesn't say, if anyone hear my voice and cleans up his house. He says, if you hear my voice and you open the door and let me in. He says, you let me in. I will clean the house. Oh, glory to God. I will clean the house. You don't need to do that. All you've got to do is acknowledge the dirtiness of your life. And let me in and I'll do all the cleaning that needs to be done. 
So do you hear his voice this evening? Do you hear him knocking? Do you hear him calling? Don't keep him waiting. Don't keep him waiting. Repent. Turn to him. Open that door. Let him in and let him work. Let him work. Let him set you on fire for him. Amen. Father God, we thank you. Thank you so much for your grace. So gracious are you, Lord. So kind and loving are you, Lord. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We thank you, Lord, that you have not dealt with us according to our sins or punished us according to our iniquities. If you, Lord, were to count our sins against us, who could stand? But there is forgiveness in you, Lord, that you may be feared. So we thank you for your truth, for this encouragement, for this, this thumbnail sketch of a life used by you in a mighty way, flawed and failing, but used by you. God, you see our failures. You see our many, many failures, our betrayals, Lord. But we pray that you will do that renewing work in our lives. Lord, that you would corner us, you would confront us, you would bring us to confess our sins and turn from our sins. And then you commission us. You clean us up and send us out to do your work for your glory. We thank you for each one who is here. We pray that this word would be hidden in our hearts, Lord, that we would not sin against you, that we would be more like you and live pleasing unto you. And we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. God bless you. God bless you. We are dismissed. Have a great evening. Be safe.